you have your Bibles, let's go to the Gospel of Luke. The Gospel of Luke, chapter 8. So listen, we're going to look at a couple portions in the Gospel of Luke, chapter 8, uh, verses 5 through 8, and then 11 uh, through 15. So you can bookmark your Bibles, Luke, chapter 8. If you don't have a Bible, we always have free Bibles at the Welcome Center, but we also put the scriptures up on the screens. Um, one more time, uh, please, if we're able to, if you're able to stand, I want to pray and ask God to just continue to speak to us. He's already been moving and speaking, had a, a like I said, a, a great uh, first service. And I believe God, the Holy Spirit, is going to move in our service and do some challenging, uh, do some shaking and some waking up of some folks. And so let's pray. Father, in the name of Jesus, we just thank you for the move of the Holy Spirit that we've already been sensing. We thank you, Lord, for all of the praise that we've been able to offer up because of your working and moving in our lives. We know, God, that there are no accidents or coincidences that, Lord, everything happens when it's supposed to happen, and, Lord, that you are working and you are using and you are uh, just moving in so many different ways that we can't even see. And so, Lord, this morning, as we get into your word, I pray that you would touch every life. I pray that today would be a wake-up call to some, a shake-up for others, and that, Lord, we would just be encouraged, Lord, to, uh, to meet the challenge that you've given us and to, uh, to live out the calling that you have on every single life in this place. And so, Lord, help us uh, to follow in your steps. We pray not our will, but your will be done. In Jesus' name, God's people said, amen. amen. You may be seated. So at around 1886, after the state of Georgia passed prohibition laws, a young man by the name of John Pemberton invented a carbonated non-alcoholic beverage that he thought would appeal to Americans given the prohibition against alcohol in the state of Georgia. It was marketed as a soft drink as opposed to the hard liquor and contained a mixture of cocoa beans and cola nuts, which inspired the name Coca-Cola. So John first started selling the soft drink in pharmacies in his hometown of Atlanta, Georgia, uh, but he had a, a, a much grander vision for his invention. He had a dream that within a hundred years, every single person on the face of planet Earth would have tasted the soda that he created. Now, he didn't quite reach his goal, but I would say, as many of you would, that he was pretty successful. See, today it is estimated that 51% of all people living in the world today have actually tasted Coca-Cola. And 72% have at least seen a can or a bottle of Coke somewhere. And I'm going to pause here and just check it out because I like to see the comparison. If you're not in this poll, don't worry about it. There are always Coke people and Pepsi people. Where are the Coke people in the house today? If you drink Coke, Coke is whatever variation. There's about 12 different ones, right? Uh, uh, diet, diet Coke and diet light Coke and no fat Coke and, and Coke, whatever. All kinds of Cokes. Where are my Pepsi people? Wow, that is a lot more. Some of you, I thought I saw both for both, so some of you are both. All right, all right. So uh, no respecter of persons or items or Cokes. Uh, it's just, listen, 97%, uh, if they hadn't seen or tasted Coke, have at least heard of Coca-Cola. 
On the other hand, only an, an estimated 70%, 73% of the world today has even heard of Jesus Christ. And I can guarantee you a whole lot fewer have actually tasted of what he has to offer. This morning, many of you, if not all of you, are here because you've tasted that the, that the Lord is good. Amen? Amen? You've tasted him for yourself. See, so I, I wonder how different things might be if Christians were as passionate about sharing their faith as John Pemberton was about sharing his soft drink. Like if we tried as hard as he did to put Bibles in people's hands as opposed to putting bottles or cans of Coke in their hands, how much different our world would be today. But I will say this, it's not always easy to share our faith, is it? Like maybe you're not an extroverted person and believe it or not, I qualify as that. That would be me. I'm not by nature an extroverted person. Who you see up here is who Christ has made to be. Amen? I get that by boldness and my ability from the Lord. But I'm not extroverted by nature. A little shy, a little introverted. And maybe you don't know what you're supposed to say or how to even bring up the subject of Jesus in the first place. Of course, there's always the fear of rejection. We hear that a lot. People are like, well, I just, if I share Jesus, what if they say no? Like, you know, it, what if you bring up the, the topic of Jesus and, and, they're, and they're offended? Or, or what if it turns into an argument? Or, or what if I ruin an absolutely otherwise perfectly good friendship by bringing up my faith in Jesus. So I wonder if Jesus' followers had some of the same questions running through their minds. I mean, they lived under very strict religious uh, order, and to deviate from the accepted norm was absolutely unacceptable, if not considered blasphemy. They must have worried at times about what to say or if they were even qualified to say it or how people might react to them when they did say something. Listen, there are people that say to me, Pastor Freddie, I didn't go to Bible college. You did. And so I, I don't see it as my job or my calling. That's your calling. That's somebody else. And so there's a whole host of people that are watching faith being shared by others from the sidelines. And that needs to change. That needs to change. One day, Jesus left the synagogue to go teach outdoors. He climbed into a, a rough, rickety little boat. He tied it to a stake, and he let it, the boat drift just a few feet from the shoreline. And very soon, swarms of people, they gathered on the beach, and they sat in the sand to listen to the master teacher. Among those listening on that day were his closest followers. And listen, I believe Jesus wanted to give them a bit of comfort and assurance about the faith that they had in him. And so he told them the same parable that we're about to share from our text. And if you're there, Luke chapter 8, beginning at verse 5, Jesus said, A farmer went out to sow his seed. Let me hear you say, his seed. One more time, his seed. As he was scattering the seed, some fell along the path, and it was trampled on, and the birds of the air ate it up. Some fell on rocky ground, and when it came up, the plants withered because they had no moisture. Other seed fell among the thorns, which grew up around it and choked the plants. Still other seed fell on good soil. Say good soil. It came up and yielded a crop a hundred times more than was sown. And when he, Jesus, said this, he called out, Whoever has ears to hear, let him hear. 
Listen, Jesus used many illustrations, stories, parables to, to teach the crowds. Parables, again, were usually short stories that use familiar scenes and everyday objects and relationships to, to explain some very deep spiritual truths. And so a parable comes from something, un, uh, compares something unfamiliar with something familiar. It compels listeners to discover truth while at the same time concealing the truth from those who are too lazy or stubborn to see it. It's kind of unique to see this take place as we read the Gospels, that some people got it and other people didn't. But later when they were alone, we know from the scripture that Jesus would explain the actual meaning of the seed and the soils to his disciples. But before we talk about uh, uh, those parts of the parable, we have to talk about the sower, the sower. See, Jesus began his story by saying, a sower went out to sow his seed. Let me hear you say the sower. And so in essence, without the sower, there wouldn't be a story. In fact, even though preachers always tend to focus on the four types of soil, right? Jesus actually calls this the parable of the sower because it always begins with him. So who's the sower? It's Jesus, right? See, the story is actually about Jesus himself. It's literally about Jesus coming into a very dark world and sharing God's message of love and forgiveness and redemption. It's the greatest story ever told, and you're a part of it. This morning you're here, and you are the recipients, you are the readers, you are the ones that are living the greatest story ever told. We know that this story is about Jesus coming into the hearts of, of human beings that he actually created and planting a seed that has the potential to grow into something wonderful like a new life filled with hope. And that's really the first thing we need to understand when it comes to outreach or witnessing that it's all about him. And so when we witness, we, we don't share a religion, we don't share an ideology, we don't share a philosophy, we share a person. You and I get to share Jesus. Again, it's all about him, right? And even though Jesus is actually the sower in this story, each one of us, you and I, who accepted Jesus Christ as Savior, actually accepts the same responsibility to become sowers in the field. And listen, some of you will remember this, but the, the great preacher of preachers, D.L. Moody, once told a story of a violent storm on Lake Erie. That on a dark, stormy night, Moody recalled when the waves rolled in like mountains and not a star could be seen in the sky, a boat near the Cleveland Harbor rocking and plunging the boat in the waves and, and seeing the, the light from the lighthouse, the captain called out to the pilot and said, are you sure this is Cleveland? Quite sure, said the pilot. Where are the lower lights, the captain said. Gone out, sir, came the, the pilot's reply. Can you make out the harbor up ahead, the captain inquired. We don't have any choice, sir. So with a strong hand and a brave heart, the old pilot guided the boat. But in the darkness, he actually missed the channel and crashed the boat into the rocks. 
the boat was completely destroyed and the entire crew lost their lives that night. And now, listen, inspired by that true story, Philip Bliss wrote the old hymn that says this, let the lower lights be burning. And the, the beginning, the opening of that hymn says, brightly beams our Father's mercy from his light short, lighthouse evermore, but to us he gives the keeping, listen, to us he gives the keeping of the lights along the shore. So Jesus, listen, Jesus may be the everlasting light, but you and I are no lot less light, the light of the world, guiding people to him. And listen, you and I, we have to be willing uh, to go out into the field and sow the seeds of grace and mercy and love. We have to be willing to talk, about to talk to people about our Jesus story because if we don't, no one else will. I say that and I always get looks because people are like, Pastor Freddie, that's what you went to school for. Pastor Freddie, I know this person and I know these groups and, and they go out and they share Jesus and isn't that enough? Pastor Freddie, I'm, I'm over here. I'm, I'm an introvert. I'm shy. I'm not good with my words. I don't know where to even begin. And so I, I cheer them on from the sidelines. And, and isn't that good enough? Listen, I'm a strong believer that there are people that God has set here on planet Earth that he has set for you to share Jesus with. You. Not me. See, I don't have your sphere of influence. I don't know the people that you know. I don't know the people that you rub shoulders with, the people that you run into from day to day. I'm not at the doctor's office when you're there. I'm not at the supermarket when you're there. You're there on purpose and for a purpose because nothing happens by accident. And so if you don't share, who will? You know, back in the day uh, when an unknown author named John Grisham, he wrote a book entitled A Time to Kill. How many of you know uh, the, the author, John Grisham? You know his books. And so when he wrote A Time to Kill, it only sold, in the beginning, it only sold about 5,000 copies. All right, some of you that know uh, novels and books, you know that 5,000 copies to the common person, it might seem a lot. If you're a private author, that might seem like a lot to you. You're like, yay. But listen, if you want to make uh, the top sellers list uh, you know, around the world or whatever, you got to sell more than 5,000. But that Time to Kill book by John Grisham, it was never advertised. It never made the bestseller list. It was never even re reviewed by anybody. So it was in the beginning sort of a flop. And then he wrote the book, The Firm, and that wasn't advertised either. In fact, it was hardly even uh, reviewed, and the reviews that were made weren't even good. But people actually read it, and they liked it, and so they told other people that they read it, and they liked it, and guess what happened? The Firm ended up selling 7 million copies. Today, John Grisham has written, written dozens of other books and has had uh, multiple number one bestsellers uh, that, by the way, have been adapted to movies, which is how I know them. I'm not a huge reader, and so I'm reading some of these titles and going, oh, I've seen that movie. Yeah, I, I think I've seen that movie. Yeah, uh-huh. And it's like some of you are like, yeah, no, the movies ruin it. We love the books. Whatever. Whatever. <laughs> Takes both kinds, right? See, Grisham's success is not because of advertising or because of the publisher's clever marketing plan. Rather, it was because a handful of people, they liked the book, they told other people about it, and, and they did that over and over again until millions of his books have been sold. And listen, so today, Christians are regular, everyday people 
who like Jesus, don't we? And some of you are like, you're using the wrong word there. I don't just like Jesus. I love Jesus. These followers of Christ, they've, they've experienced him, and so they tell somebody else about Jesus. And, and see, it doesn't take a, a newspaper ad, and it doesn't take a review in a magazine. Evangelism 101 and witnessing, as many still call it, is just people who love Jesus and who have experienced the love and the blessings of God telling other people about Jesus. And until it happens over and over and over, you get to tell your Jesus story, and God you uses it for his glory to build his kingdom. Maybe you're willing this morning to follow in Jesus' footsteps and sow the seeds of faith in people around you, but you don't quite know what to say. Well, lucky for us, Jesus tells us when he, he explains the meaning of the seed. So let's go there. Luke chapter 8, verse 11. Just that one verse. See, when Jesus later pulls his disciples aside and explains the deeper meaning of the story, in Luke 8, 11, he says, this is the meaning of the parable. The seed is what? The word, the word of God. One more time. The seed is what? Another translation says the seed is God's message. And so the seed is the gospel. The seed is the good news of Jesus Christ. The Romans 1.16 says, the, uh, the apostle Paul says, For I am not ashamed of the good news about Christ. It is the power of God at work saving everyone who believes. See, when God's message of love and grace penetrates a, a believing heart, time and eternity are forever changed for that person. But what is God's message to humanity? What is God's message? Well, if witnessing to others involves sharing God's message, can you do that? I mean, if, if you had right now just five minutes to explain the good news of God, in other words, God's message, could you do it right now in five minutes or less? And, and do you know what it is even? There are actually many methods out there where, that people have come up with for effectively sharing their faith. In fact, um, there are many evangelism one-on-one -on -one training courses. There, there's the Romans Road, and, and there's training manuals out there, all kinds of great training tools for witnessing to total strangers. But I believe that when it comes to sharing God's message, I like to keep it simple. Explaining the gospel in a simple and plain and con concise way, I believe one of the easiest things we can do is know a scripture that many of us know almost by heart here this morning. And what scripture do you think I'm talking about? Anybody know? Anyone take a gander? John 3.16. A, a few months ago, I preached on the 3.16 effect, and you'll, you'll uh, be reminded of some of this uh, material right now. See, not only is John 3.16 the most well-known and beloved ver passage of Scripture, but within this single verse, we can discover all that we need to know about the good news and how it relates to us. Remember, John 3.16 begins with God, ends with life, and it urges us to do the same. Listen, John 3.16 is also the North Star of the Bible, a 26-word parade of faith, hope, and love. So if you're going to share God's message with an unchurched person who knows absolutely nothing about the Bible, John 3.16 is a great place to start. See, within that verse, powerful verse, we find four powerful truths that can be broken down into those eight simple words. In fact, we can think of them like four points on, a, on an actual compass. And I did this earlier service. I love to do it here. How many of you have ever actually used a compass? 
wow, quite a few. We had like two in the early morning service, and I'm like, and how many of you have used it on an app? not an actual compass. We Looks like we've got a, a lot of people that have done all kinds of the, the variety. Anybody use an old school compass? Right, right, okay. So wow, we're, we're very good. And so the four points of the compass are what? North, south, east, west. And so let's go there. We're gonna use that method. As if we were using a compass this morning first. North, God loves. John 3.16 begins, for God so loved who? the world. For God so loved the world. And listen, if those words are true this morning, which I believe they are, that changes everything. And so imagine what the world would be like without God's love, uh, a dark planet floating in this unguided and undirected way where there's no hope and no future, and yet God loves the world. And listen, anytime I, I talk about this, I know that there are people out there that say, well, Pastor Freddie, the world is bad. The world is, you know, I don't even believe in God. I mean, think of all the children that are being killed all over the world and all the people that die of, of malnutrition and all this stuff. There can't be God and be all that and they couldn't be wronger than wrong is the reality is is that, is that if there wasn't a God here on planet earth today the world would be a hundred million times darker we can't even imagine what the world would be like without the presence of God and we don't want to and so in that world we know that God loves in that world we know that God is moving that God is still using the church that God is still expressing himself you cannot look at the beauty of nature listen we live in in New Hampshire and in Maine some of us we see all kinds of beauty and it's because God loves some of you, you go to a lake or a beach and, and you recognize God loves. God loved me so much. Look at that sunrise. Look at that sunset. Look at what I get to enjoy. And we do. We're blessed in so many ways. And it's because God loves. I mean, we see it in every sunrise, in every blade of grass, in every fountain of water, in every birth, in every child's face. Um, again, some of you will remember this, but one writer said, if God had a refrigerator, your picture would be on it. If, if he had a wallet, your photo would be in it. He sends you flowers every spring, a sunrise every morning. Whenever you want to talk, he will listen. And, and, and I love this. He can live anywhere in the universe. And yet he chose your heart. Then at the opposite end of the compass, we, uh, well, we know that God loves at north, but at south, God gives. John 3.16 says that God so loved the world that he gave his one and only son. Now, listen, that sounds strange to some people. I mean, so many people in the world, they respect the teachings of Jesus. They admire his great and good example, and yet they have a hard time seeing the significance of the cross and his death. But the fact is, you and I, we all fall short of the glory of God. And our, and our, it's because of our shortcoming, short, shortcomings. Yes, our sin. We know that our sin is what separates us from God. And that's where Jesus comes in. See, Jesus was determined to build a bridge, or I like to say a cross point. God was determined, Jesus was determined to build a bridge, a cross point with an old rugged cross. And so Jesus literally gave himself to rescue us from the penalty of sin. And God gave his one and only son, Jesus Christ, to bring salvation to the world 
through his death. And so God loves north, God gives south. On the west side, we believe. We believe. John 3.16 says, God gave his son so that whoever, say whoever, whoever. you're whoever, I'm whoever, so that whoever believes in him shall not perish. And listen, no other religion in the entire world offers what Jesus promises. And, and so Jesus calls us to do one thing, believe. So see, it's not, uh, uh, not because of who I am that I can be saved. or be, It's because of who he is. It's not because of what I've, I've done or what I will do, but because of what Jesus has already done. And all he asks of you and I is that we put our faith and our trust in him and in him alone. Listen, how many of you believe that the world still needs that message? So God loves, he gives, we believe. Finally, the last point on the compass is we live. We live. See, the life-changing promise of John 3.16 is that whoever believes in Jesus will have eternal life. And listen, that's an amazing promise. So many of us, we, uh, I meet people every day who are in different places when it comes to eternity. And there are some people in their 80s and 90s, they will boldly tell me, Pastor, I'm ready to go home. I'm ready to be with Jesus. This body is not lining up with my desires. I, I you know, in my mind, Pastor, I'm a 20 or a 30 year old but this body feels like it's a thousand and so I'm ready to be with Jesus now and so if the rapture were to happen and God were to I'm ready to go I, I, this body is just and then there are others who you know are just like you know what every moment counts too many people I know don't know Jesus I want to make sure that they know. I want to make sure that I'm, that I'm doing my part. I believed, and so they need to get a chance to believe. Listen, countless legends and famous people tell of their search for the secret of immortality. But the truth is right there in John 3.16. I mean, can you imagine what it's going to be like to one day walk next to God, to be surrounded by his glory and to stand in his presence? I love to worship Jesus. I love the sense of the glory of God and his presence that I get when I enter into worship with all of you. And that is just a, a fraction. That is just a taste of what we will experience when we are in glory, one day walking in the streets of gold, one day experiencing all that God God has. He's good. He's got that in store for us. Imagine exploring the depths of God's love, his wisdom, his holiness. Eternal life brings those infinite possibilities and so much more. And we can experience it all when we realize that God loves, he gives. And if we believe we can have a new life eternally, that's the gospel in a nutshell. Plain and simple. We like to make it complicated. We like to go, well, Pastor Freddie, I didn't go to Bible college. I don't know all those verses, and I don't, I don't know how to explain this. And, th and that theology, is, I'm not quite sure with it. Listen, keep it plain and simple. John 3.16, for God so loved the world that he gave, that whosoever believes in him will have eternal life. Just keep it simple, even if you can't remember all the these and the thous and everything in between. God loved, he gave, we believe, we live eternally. That's God's message to a world, plain and simple.
a world that needs a savior. It's a compass that every single person needs. In fact, John 20, 31 says, but these things are written so that you may believe that Jesus is the Christ, the son of God. Then by believing, you may have life through his name. And so when the seed of God's word is planted in a heart, God will cause that seed to grow and to flourish and God will give it life. But there's one last piece of the parable of the sower that we can't overlook. That's the soil, right? See, explaining the meaning of the parable to his disciples, Jesus says in Luke chapter 8, verse 12, let's begin there. We're going to go through, uh, verses through verse 15. The seeds that fell on the footpath represent those who hear the message only to have the devil come and take away from their hearts and prevent them from believing and being saved. Verse 13, the seeds on the rocky soil represent those who hear the message and receive it with joy. But since they don't have deep roots, they believe for a while and then they fall away when they face temptation. Verse 14, the seeds that fell among the thorns represent those who hear the message, but all too quickly, the message is crowded out by the cares and the riches and the pleasures of this life, and so they never grow into maturity. Verse 15, and the seeds that fall on the good soil, say good soil, soil. represent honest, good-hearted people who hear God's word, cling to it and patiently produce a huge harvest. Listen, there's a whole lot of reasons that people give for not becoming a follower of Jesus. Some people reject the message of Christ altogether. Some think it's like this big fairy tale or a bedtime story, but it's just not relevant to their lives. Others may actually see the relevance, but the pressures of this life and the pursuit of money or entertainment are just too important for them. And so, you know, priorities, right? And so in the story, the farmer sows the seeds in all kinds of soil, but I mean no wise farmer would ever throw or sow seeds and thorns or in a footpath, would he? And yet the one, the sower in the parable, does this. I mean, is he just careless or, or wasteful or, or stupid? Well, no. See, in ancient times, farmers knew that, that some of the soil would be unproductive or fruitless, but in order to get the best possible coverage, listen, they willingly and liberally scattered the seed everywhere they went. Listen, just like those farmers, God allows his words of love and, and, and his mighty words of strength and power to fall on those who will not receive it, and yet he is willing, still willing, to pour out his grace upon them. See, God knows the high potential of the seed and as Christians, we sometimes we pull back from those who are uninterested or those who just look different, but God doesn't. Listen, if we're truthful this morning, there are people who right now in our minds, we would say, I'm not sure if, if they'll even believe the gospel. I'm not sure if they'll respond if I share Jesus. Uh, they're, Pastor Freddie, they're, they're too full of tattoos or they're too full of piercings. Or, or uh, Pastor Freddie, have you seen their life? Uh, I just, you know, the meanest a dirtiest looking, that neighbor who, who throws the snow over to your side or, or that neighbor who, who mows exactly to the line and will not go over just an inch, who, who rubs you the wrong way. And Pastor Freddie, are you asking me to share the gospel with them? Because I don't think they'll receive it. 
well, you know what? I'm so glad you're not the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad I'm not the Holy Spirit. I'm so glad that, you know what? We share freely because it was shared freely with us. That you and I have an opportunity. And I know, I know all of the thoughts and all of the things that come to mind. Say, Pastor Freddie, my life isn't maybe where I it should be. Or, or Pastor Freddie, I'm not a good representative. I haven't been a good witness at, at work and I haven't been a good. Listen, in those moments when you have been less than perfect, the gospel can shine. Because again, it's not about you. It's all about him. So you know what? You can easily declare in those moments, if God can save a wretch like me, if God can reach a broken, messed up person like me, he can certainly reach you. Worship team, come. God sees the high potential of the, of, of the seed. In God's eyes, he'd rather be rejected nine times out of ten just so that he can reach that one who will say yes. Even though God's message to humanity will meet rejection more often than not, there are still people, hungry people out there who will listen, who are eager to hear about God's love and willing to put their faith in Jesus. Uh, Kent Hunter, in his book, Moving the Church into Action, says that there are at least six major occasions in the life of people where they will be maybe more open to the Christian message of the love of God and the good news of Jesus Christ. And I'll share those six real quick with you. Again, this is reading from the book. When people move to a new community, they tend to be open to new things. When people are changing jobs or careers, they're open to more changes. Even people who have visited the church in the past and return are more open because they feel a bit familiar. Or people who are friends of new church members are often more receptive to the gospel or to visit church or other people who have been helped by the church are more open to an invitation. Plus, economic difficulties tend to create a, a spiritual openness in people's lives. Listen, in times like these, in, in the times we're living today, the harvest is ready. It's fertile ground. I mean, we would be wise to know this and be ready to share. According to nationwide surveys right now, of people who are not regular churchgoers, 15% said that they would go to church if someone they knew actually invited them. 15%. That means you may have to invite 10 people to get one to, to come to church. And so, the, you know, and for them, that one person is going to experience all the difference in the world and for all eternity. And so who do you know this morning who you have never once invited to church? Who do you know that you've never shared your Jesus story with? because of one reason or one excuse or another? Who do you know? They're out there this morning. Remember, God loves and God gives. We get to believe. And when we believe, we live eternally. Would you stand to your feet?
It's really that simple. People need to know. So I challenge you to renew your efforts, to renew your calling, to sow seeds of hope together wherever you go, to trust Jesus to harvest souls for his kingdom by you sharing your Jesus story. Let's pray. Father, we thank you, Lord, for speaking to us this morning. The simplicity of the gospel is ever before us. We complicate it with our lives and with our choices and with our excuses, but Lord, the simplicity of the gospel is there. And the fact that so many people have said that they would visit church if they were invited by someone they know, it tells us that we have a task yet undone, that we have a mission and a calling to fulfill, and that we have to stop standing by the sidelines hoping that the pastor and the evangelist and the missionary and that person who's good at public speaking or that other person who knows every scripture to quote or whatever, and we're saying, well, they do it, that's enough. No, that's not enough. We've all been called. We all have a responsibility. The light shines brightest in the darkness. It's a dark world, but we have the light of Jesus. Would you share it? Share it. Take every opportunity. Share it. Let's worship.